I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. With Boyd Matheson. By mobilizing more troops, annexing occupied territory, threatening the use of tactical nuclear weapons, Russian President Vladimir Putin hopes to regain the upper hand in Ukraine. Uh, But is any or all of that enough? It turns out there may be some significant limits on what Vladimir Putin can do militarily. Uh, What are they? What comes next there? We're really pleased to have joining us Paul Sony, a national security reporter for The Washington Post and a great piece in The Washington Post in terms of what Vladimir Putin faces. Uh, Paul, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Uh, so as, as we look at this, we've been commenting that uh, Vladimir Putin has sort of gone to the uh, what you do when you're really losing, and that is declare victory somewhere else to kind of <laughs> reframe the conversation. Uh, can he do that? And, and uh, what does it look like from your vantage point? Yeah. So on the one hand, you have him uh, declaring these regions of Ukraine annexed, even though uh, the Russian military doesn't control large swaths of them. Um, So there's a little bit of, you know, his reality that he's presenting on paper and the actual reality on the battlefield are diverging. Um, And I think that's that's increasingly happening um, where the Russian military is really on the back foot. They are low on personnel. um, They are having command and control problems. And this Ukrainian counteroffensive that started about a month ago is making advantage both in eastern Ukraine and in southern Ukraine, um, that is, is rolling back these territories that Russia has now claimed are its own its own territory for good. Yeah, and and uh, part of that it seems in terms of declaring that victory and saying that they are part of Russia now uh, by this referendum and signing it in, uh, that this now gives uh, Vladimir Putin the option to say that well now you're attacking our sovereign territory, so the use of tactical nuclear weapons is of course okay because we're defending ourselves. Yeah, I think it's not only that. I think it's it's partly that, and also the ability to call it Russian territory is a mobilizing factor. You know, he's trying to mobilize these uh, hundreds of thousands of troops, draft them um, into the conflict, and it's a lot easier if they say, you know, they're attacking territory that is ours, people who are ours. Uh, we're at war not just with the Ukrainians; we're at war with NATO and the United States, and so we really need you to uh, go in and defend the country's interests. Because I think they're having a hard time. You know, how do you tell? somebody who's being drafted in Omsk in Siberia, uh, that the the region of Kherson, which for their entire lifetimes has been in Ukraine, is Russia's. You know, they're they're having to make that case of why these guys need to go defend this territory. Yeah, some of those, uh, that's a tough sell, uh, especially to a lot Mm -hmm. of those uh, mothers and uh, and wives and uh, and daughters that are saying, wait a minute, this this is not quite uh, the reality we've been looking at. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, they have been selling it for the last eight years on Russian television. You know, Russian state television has really been um, calling the Ukrainians Nazis, uh, saying that the Ukrainians are a puppet regime of the United States, of NATO, um, that they're a vassal state that's meant to just undermine and destroy Russia. And, you know, that that message has been going on already for eight years. So they've sort of tried to prime um, prime Russians for this step. But still, getting sent off to war against your will is a big, big deal. Yeah. Uh, and as we look at it, uh, from from your vantage point, uh, as we start uh, kind of working our way into winter, uh, how does how does that play out? Does that give uh, Vladimir Putin a chance to bring in some of those uh, people they're drafting and get them trained up? Is this become a, a long slog stalemate? Uh, can Ukraine uh, keep on on the offensive? Yeah, so what it's starting to look like on the battlefield is that Putin just did this mobilization too late, um, that the time it's going to take to actually get these people, get them trained, get them to the front is is not really going to be in time before the Ukrainians uh, exhaust their counteroffensive. So, you know, the Ukrainians are still they're still going. They're not going at the pace that they were going initially, um, but they're still taking territory, taking towns day by day. Um, and we don't really have a sense of how long that will continue when you know every in every counteroffensive, at some point they lose enough people and equipment that they they also kind of peter out. Um, but we don't really have a good view of when that will be. I mean, obviously it will probably be before winter. Um, but on the Russian side, I don't think Putin is going to be able to get these guys to the front in any meaningful way. Um, bef- probably before before the late fall winter anyway. So it's kind of like the Ukrainian counteroffensive is going to do what it is able to do. And then Putin is going to bring in these guys to try to at least stabilize whatever it is that he has left. Um, but it, the idea that they're going to somehow immediately show up at the front and, and Russia is going to go from being on the defensive to suddenly seizing the initiative again, I think that's unlikely. I think if you're going to see Russia seize the initiative and try to take territory at all, it's, we're looking in winter, spring. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I loved in your piece uh, was just kind of this idea that, uh, you know, adding these additional people, it's it's not like just adding, you know, <laughs> beans or units. Uh, there, there's a lot more subtleties to it. And it seems like that's where Russia may be kind of unraveling a little bit from the inside out. Yeah, we really don't have a sense of how these guys are going to be used. Um, and they could be used. There is a somewhat effective way to use them, um, which is to kind of free up people who know how to fight by putting them in in the background, having them, uh, you know, do things like drive trucks and dig trenches and, you know, not necessarily having them in frontline combat capabilities. Um, But the question is, does Russia actually have, uh, after, you know, seven months of quite heavy attrition, does Russia actually have real combat fighters left for them to free up? Um, And I think, I think, we don't know the answer to that, but it's, there's a big question mark over it. Yeah, and then I wanted to get your take in terms of what happens in terms of you know possible deals or exit ramps uh, for Vladimir Putin. You know, historically in Europe, it, when you get to the negotiating table, it's basically you keep what you have. Uh, is that the game that uh, Vladimir Putin seems to be playing? Is if he can just hold on, hopefully he can get to a negotiating table and, and keep some of that. Uh, what's your sense? I don't know. I think when you watched his speech at the Kremlin uh, recently where he declared these annexations, um, 
Nothing about that speech struck me as a guy who wants to make a deal. Uh, he was essentially, it was the kind of speech you would give if you were openly declaring war against the United States. I mean, it was really all about the United States. It wasn't yeah. really about Ukraine at all. Um, and and he's a, you know, by doing the annexations publicly on Russian television, telling people this is now part of Russian territory, none, you know, doing this mobilization, however big it ends up being, none of these actions tell me that this is a guy who wants to cut a deal. Um, and now that the Ukrainians are having success on the battlefield, there's no will on the Ukrainian side to cut a deal right now. They want to take back this territory. They, you know, people in people in the rest of Ukraine, they have relatives in these towns that are occupied. Mm-hmm. They have relatives in Kherson. They, they, it is meaningful to them to take back this territory. So, you know, they're only going to be cutting a deal with Russia if they're if they're really on the back foot and 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 pressed to go up against the wall themselves, which is is really not the case right now. So, the room for a deal is not. It doesn't. I don't. I don't see it right exactly at this time. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think it's uh, going to be a, an interesting winter, and then that transition into the spring is going to be fascinating to watch. Paul Sony is a national security reporter for the Washington Post. Great piece in the Washington Post uh, that you should check out as well. Paul, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, we'll step aside for bottom of the hour news. When we come back. We've got a new term has started in the Supreme Court. Some of the crucial cases. We'll break them down. Coming up next. Stick around. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.